0: And Welcome to our kingdom, this is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen. And still trigger happy, I'm Ash <laughs> And this is a special bonus stage episode. Last week, we had a small snippet of an interview we did with Paul Gannon, uh, talking about his duck hunt challenge, sorry, duck hunt, hunt challenge, challenge. Um, but... That wasn't
3: all we talked about with Paul. We approached Paul for an interview and I think in our heads we were thinking this will be a nice 10-15 minute segment because we've both interviewed people in the past and you never know what you're going to get with an interview. Sometimes you expect 10 and you get 5. Sometimes you expect 15 and you get 50. This was in the latter category because we talked to Paul for well over an hour. Yeah, yeah, And doing a one hour edit of that interview was fairly difficult just cutting out bits and pieces silences that was tough then i had to make a 20 minute or so edit for the main episode because we're already stretching the laws of probability by doing an hour to hour 15 podcast episode on a television show that ran 20 minutes yeah going two hours might be stretching it too much But there was a lot of good stuff in there because Paul is a very funny, very engaging and very entertaining person. So here is our first interview again, but this time with all the stuff put back in, there's more about Games Master, there's more about video games, there's more about the other projects and stuff that he's working on. Essentially, it's more of Paul Gannon. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Check it out. Oh, thanks, past usses. So, we'd like to welcome our first ever guest to Under Consultation. In addition to his appearance on Games Master, you may know him from Cheap Show, you may know him from Bartians, or, to be honest, the quite ludicrous projects of Paul Rose. But wherever you know him from, there are higher than likely odds that you know him by the name of Paul Gannon. Thanks for joining us, Paul.
4: Hello. It's 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 sobering to know I'm your first guest. I kind of feel very sorry for you instantly. Well, you know, we tried to get hold of
3: Patrick Moore, but it was proving problematic. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. Well, funnily enough, uh, now that Derek Acora has gone, I do have access to Sam, his spirit guide, so I'll try and reach out.
3: I can imagine you reaching out and all you're getting is dick.
4: Well, mm, he, did, he was used to getting quite a lot. You know what? That sounds weird if I just say it like that. <laughs> it's going to make it.
3: If any of our audience are familiar with your other projects, I think they'd be fairly understanding.
4: Yeah, for those who don't, uh, I had a small dalliance in the career of Derek Acora for a very short period of my life, and that was eye-opening interesting
3: so i first became aware that you were on games master like in present day when i saw the first episode of Digitizer, the show
4: oh okay um that makes sense though because it's been a secret shame of mine for most of my adult life
3: it's amazing though because looking back at the footage you actually haven't changed that much at all you are very (laughs) recognizably
4: paul gannon at that point in your life i think i was 13 when i did that i think 13 or 14
3: yeah i i i did uh my appropriate catfishing and did you know work out when you were born and when yeah 13 <laughs> wow. well you know research it's a difficult thing um
4: yeah yeah, yeah. But- there's a fine line though between research and obsession so just be careful <laughs> going forward
3: should i move towards
0: obsession or towards research I'll, I'll tell you where the line is oh thank you i appreciate <laughs> that so it's
3: 1991 you are thirteen or fourteen years old. Mm. Before Games Master, where are you as a kid? What are your interests? What what is your gaming experiences? What is your level of gaming obsession?
4: Uh, do you know what? It's such a weird question because I came from a reasonably poor background. Not like it's not destitute, but you know, like I didn't have the latest console. I didn't have the latest games. Everything I got came years later. So even though. Where, when was it? So it was 94, you say? Ninety one. Yeah. 91. 91. 91. Jesus Christ, <laughs> where's the time gone? So 91, I think I'd only just gotten a Game Boy, maybe at that point. Um, so I think my first console was a Game Boy, and that's why I'm quite attached to it. But my brother, for whatever reason, had a master system. And so I think they were the only two consoles we had in our house at that time. And then at some point, At some point in my life, we had an Amstrad CPC 464. I don't know how my mum got that. It might have come from a dodgy source. All I know is I think that was my kind of root base at that time. I wasn't hugely into games. It's a weird one, but, that, you know, it was just one of those things where we were lucky to have them. And when I had my Game Boy, it did, it did open my eyes. Especially, again, I've said this many a time, like, I didn't think much of the Game Boy until my friend let me play with Link's Awakening. And that was the one that was like, oh, games aren't just, you know, shooting things in space or running along a platform. There's story and adventure. And it was like, oh, I can get behind this. And so I think that's where I was. Mildly interested, but I certainly wasn't a fanatic. And I certainly didn't have an upbringing packed with gaming.
0: It's funny, because they say in the show, I think it's, it's Jazz Rignall that's doing the uh, the color commentary with uh, d- uh, Diamond. And he yeah. says that um, you are younger than the game itself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Duck Hunt. But actually, looking <laughs> at the timeline, you weren't. You actually were older than the game, so it must come out, where 85 Duck Hunt.
4: Yeah, I was born in 78, and so I was alive when the game was out, when the game was made. But you could argue when did the console came out, you know, the one you could beam on your wall that uh, Nintendo sold. There was a thing uh, that they sold, and yeah. that might have been a 70s thing. So theoretically, he might be right. But funnily enough, having um, the Master System helped with being on Games Master, because they told me about the game I was going to play on the show quite late after the audition. And so they said, try and get hold of a game. And we didn't have it. The closest we had was the built-in, was it called Safari Hunt on the Master System? The one that was built into the Master System with the light gun.
0: That was built into the Master System 1. Yes. Yeah, because I think Alex Kidd would build into the mass system too, yeah. I think. Alex Kid yeah.
3: Master System too, so yeah, it would have been Safari Hunt. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
4: so that's how that's how I got my practice in by playing a completely <laughs> different light gun <laughs> game-based game. That's an interesting twist
3: of the story that I didn't see coming, but I, I look forward to getting to that in a bit. So well, you mentioned you found out after the audition that what the game was, but how did you get to the audition like what was the process you went through to suddenly find yourself auditioning for this show that was just starting up and being filmed in a slightly creepy church
4: yeah well basically i was a very precocious child and my mom wanted me to do acting and i tried it and absolutely hated it it's the often told story and it is true like my mom when i was younger i want to say eight or nine uh made me go to a milky bar kid Audition because at that time I was a carbon copy of the Milky Bar Kid in my looks. Um, I don't remember this occurrence at all, but my mum said I didn't do anything but cry throughout the whole process. <laughs> and so I obviously didn't get it. Um, uh, my mum was obsessed with me getting that role. For Easter, she got me nothing but uh, milk- <laughs> Milky Bar eggs and I ate them all in one night, I was violently ill, and now I just can't touch white chocolate. So I've got a lot of. <laughs> lot of deep seated issues with the milky bar kid but anyway so i got into like i wanted to do a bit of acting that didn't work out for me did a bit of theater work at a young age that wasn't my kind of thing i started enjoying like the behind the scenes elements more than the on stage stuff but there was an advert for games master as i say they're looking for people to present it or certainly be on it and i thought it was going to be like um, a games version of why don't you if you remember why don't you
3: mm. very well wow that's just so hit I'm- me in the memories well done
4: yeah <laughs> Which was, you know, I think, written by Russell T. Davis in his time as well. Fact fans. (laughs) Um, But Why Don't You was a kid's show where the kids kind of hosted this magazine format show. And I thought, oh, they're going to hire a bunch of kids to review games and play games. And I thought that was the concept. So I remember writing to... Uh, whatever the address was and saying I want to be on your show and for some reason at some point I got a letter back saying we'd love to have you come down to London or wherever the audition place was and just come play a game and see how you are on camera and so I think that was the first thing I just got a letter from I, don't, I can't even remember what the production company was called now was it Howlex or how how I don't know what was it at the time
0: Oh, the production company Gamesmaster, uh, Yeah.
4: Hewland. Yeah, Hewland. 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 Yeah. Oh, I was close. Yeah, yeah I far was off. Surprisingly close considering all the drugs I took in my 20s and 30s <laughs> and, and half an hour ago. I think my dad drove me down from Wirral, where I grew up, um, to wherever the audition place was. And part of me even thinks it might have been Birmingham. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But I do remember going to this building and, and having the audition process.
0: What was the audition process like? Did they, did they just in, like ask you questions about your sort of your gaming interests, or did they ask you to play any games or anything like that?
4: Uh, yes, well, it was it was a weird one because again at the time, and again, look, I'm very I was very very young and I have a very very poor memory. But I seem to think when I was talking to a producer or someone who's part of the show, they weren't sure of the format yet or something like that. And they were trying stuff out and they said it was going to be, you know, people playing games and challenges and all these kind of things. So they said, what we want you to do is play a game against this other kid. And uh, if you win, uh, we'll have you speak to Dominic Diamond or whatever it was. So um, the game they asked me to play was Pit Fighter of all bloody things
0: not the the Amiga version
4: Uh, it was definitely a uh, it wasn't the arcade put it that way in my head in my head I want to say it was like the Master System version of Pit Fighter if one existed (laughs) but I remember it being very poor and I'm not a huge I'm very very poor at fighting games I, I don't get them I don't like them they frighten me I don't understand it but I somehow managed to wing my way through that game playing against this kid. And again, I don't remember who the other kid was. But that was what they asked me to play, Pit Fighter. And it was awkward and dumb. And uh, at the time when we were doing it, the producer was to asking us both questions. And then that was it. And then I, I remember Dominic Diamond coming in very, very briefly and just saying hello. And isn't this exciting? And a few pleasantries and walking out. And that's kind of the what I do remember of the process just kind of going in meeting a few people saying what they thought the concept was going to be asking me to play Pit Fighter and then playing against this other kid uh, and then that was it really I seem to remember
0: the reason I ask him if it was the Amiga version, because that gets reviewed in series one of Games Master, where they all say, Ooh. this game's proper rubbish. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, they probably killed two birds with one stone. They had a bunch of kids come in and play it. And then they just did the, did the reaction on that, which wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. I can't remember the console now. I just remember it was a very poor resolution version of the Pit Fighter we all know and tolerate. I'm also surprised no one's ever thought about bringing Pit Fighter back has there ever been a new Pit Fighter or Pit Fighter 2020
3: no no there was a Pit Fighter 2 I'm 90% certain it was either made or in development but no Pit Fighter is a franchise that for mysterious reasons has not even been bought back as like, I don't know, DLC for Mortal Kombat or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but as you talk about poor resolution versions of Pit Fighter, the version that I grew up with was the Amstrad CPC 464 version of Pit Ooh. Fighter. Yeah. You didn't even have the digitized graphics to go with there. It was, literally blobs and zero control so master system was at least a step up from that
4: just a little bit but i think even i had that amstrad amstrad version of it and i seem to remember visually it looked like lego blocks hitting each other it was it was quite grim and ugly
3: yeah, it definitely was. I think there was also a demo on the cover of Amstrad Action at one point,
4: which that was... might be the one I actually played. To be fair, so <laughs> yeah,
3: it wasn't worth buying. So you got through the audition process and you walked away with the
4: knowledge that you were going to be used for the show. No, I don't even. I don't think at that point, I knew anything other than it, this show was happening. Thanks for coming in. We'll be in touch. And uh, all I can honestly say is, it just jumps to me being. Offered to be on the show. And I, I think it came in a letter. Oh, you know what? That's a lie. I do remember it being a phone call now and they were going to follow it up with a letter. So I think the letter had all the information in, but the phone call was all like, yes, we're doing this. We want you to be on it. It's very exciting. It's not a TV show. It's a game show, which I do remember being upset about because I remember thinking, well, I didn't really want to be on a game show because I'm not a great gamer. And that's remained true all of my life. (laughs) You know, there are one or two games I'm I'm really good at. And then that's really it. I'm not a multifaceted uh, kind of person, but um, I I, want to be on the telly, don't I? So of course I'm just going to say yes. (laughs) I'm not going to say, how dare you? I was expecting a starring role. Um, So yeah, I just remember them saying, right. Yeah. Duck Hunt. We want you to play Duck Hunt. That's what you'll be playing. There'll be a challenge. And if you can get hold of a system, that'd be great. And, We couldn't, and the best thing we could do was play Safari Hunts. So I remember just playing that for hours and actually getting quite good at it. Um, Because they didn't tell you what the parameters were going to be like, for instance, how far away you were going to be from the screen or what the game was going to be. So all I could do was just try and get good at using a light gun. And I think we, our TV was reasonably, not to say big, but it was big enough that I could stand away and play the game and be reasonably good at it. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I didn't get to play Duck Hunt until the actual day of shooting.
0: What was that day like, like, you know, arriving at this disused church? Uh, so what was the, the mood like? Like, how were you sort of welcomed by the production team?
4: It, you know, it was... Weird. So there's 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 one kind of sad element to this story, which which always sticks with me when I watch it back. Is that um, we were allowed to bring a few friends down. So it was my mum, me. I want to say my brother but also uh, another kid I knew at the time called Craig. And Craig was a guy who was really into gaming. He had a Super Nintendo. I would sometimes go around to his. My mums were friends. Uh, we weren't like close friends, but you know, it was nice to go over and play with like his Super Nintendo every now and then. And um, I I do remember him coming along. Now to fast forward to much later in the day, a year or so later after that filming, Craig died of meningitis. Mm. And um it was, you know, it was really sudden. It kind of he he had the complaints in the morning and was dead by the evening and it was really shocking. It was the first person I knew in my immediate life who, you know, had died, really. Um but it's weird going back and knowing that when I watch that he's in the audience, um always there because I I kind of know. I mean, this this spins off into a story I tell in my solo show about ghost hunting, but it all kind of comes, it all weirdly folds back. My life always folds back on itself in weird ways, but it, it does remind me, Craig always being in that footage of Games Master, it does remind me of him. And that's why, like when I mentioned him in my solo show, there is a there was a point to it because it hit his mom really hard. So she uh, had that footage with her. Uh, because she just it was the only moving footage she had of her son, weirdly, even though like you can barely see him. Mm. But uh anyway, so anyway, we went we all went down together on the coach and we had to pay our own way. And the next big mystery in this story is for some reason I was playing the Atari Lynx on the way down there, and I don't know if it was mine, if it was Craig's, if my mum had bought it. It's a weird thing. I don't remember who had it, but uh it's still in the attic somewhere now. But uh yeah, I remember playing the Atari Lynx for about two minutes before the battery died on the way down on the coach. <laughs> Uh, so that you know lasted the way um and that was fun it was all very exciting and I i, I going to because I like where it is I've visited it since uh because the location's still there and I think it's a nursery now or it's some library or something like that but like it's quite an awkward place to get to it's like old gate east I want to say and down a few weird side streets and uh it is on a weird corner and at the time I vaguely remember it was, like, surrounded by uh construction work. And this might be my mind playing tricks on me, but I do seem to remember it like it wasn't being used. And if it was being used for anything, it was probably TV and film shoots. Um So, yeah, we got the coach down, got the underground there, found the place. And then, basically... um they just said you need to be in the audience, and we're going to move you around for different segments. Because I, I believe they didn't film bits in episodes; like they didn't sit. Rec- I, mean, I might be wrong, but they didn't record one episode at a time. They would like record all the games they'd use with the NES, and then reset with the mass system and record all the games they could then, yeah, and then split them across the season, That's, which I presume is how they did it. So, um, so I remember having to watch a lot of other people playing games. Uh, throughout the morning, and it was a long shoot. I think there was, um, there was definitely, a uh, like a couple of NES games going on, but I don't remember too much about what those were and who they were, but I remember Dominic Diamond, and I remember it just being very, very cold. The whole way through, (laughs) I think, because we're all sitting there on these benches and, you know, it's a cold church and there's fog machines and even with all the lights on, it still had a chill to it. I remember being very cold on the day and also very dark. When you look at the episodes, it seems dark and like that's my overriding memory of it just being a very dark and cold day in a church.
0: Yeah, we've always said like when we look back at and we've been you know covering these episodes that it did look cold in that place. (laughs) It it didn't look like
4: theatrical atmosphere. It just looked bloody cold. So yeah, I just seem to remember the day being. Really long, and I think my shoot came towards the end of the day. I do remember me being kind of first in, last out.
0: There's a question I was thinking about. Well, I, I'm going to try and pick your memory here, see if you can remember this. But I've actually only just thought about this on my way into the office today to to do my work. When I was listening back to some of the the episodes that we've done, you know, you have like Dominic Diamond say, "And let's go to Games Master for the challenge," and he'll say things like, "Ah, our first two competitors failed at their challenges," which has obviously been recorded way later so yeah what was on the screen like when he's sort of throwing to it like did they have anything there or like you know a test image or just anything on screen for you to all look at i'll find out what the challenge was
4: you know what i i honestly don't remember and that's such a bugger because <laughs> my mem my memory tells me i remember seeing it but i honestly don't think they could have because if anything again you will obviously know a lot more than me about the production of the show over time but i don't know how late patrick moore was was brought onto the project because i know they were talking about there will be a games master uh and uh he'll tell you what to do but it's weird i just kind of feel like maybe on the day i didn't see anything but maybe i saw footage on a tv screen so i had an idea of what was going on Hmm. I... I can't help at all on that. That's really strange because I, I, I want to say they did it live. See,
3: I'm I'm fairly certain, and thankfully we can go back and check the tapes. Um, that there are moments when Dominic throws it over to the gamesmaster, and it's kind of a distant shot from like the back of the church, and you definitely see Patrick Moore up on yeah. the screen that's above the kind of the staging area. But to be honest, if they they could have easily gone back and done reshoots just to. Like mix it up, or even got him just to record multiple versions that they yeah, then used to I broadcast. I do remember
4: that. I, I do remember there seemed to be a lot of just him talking and doing lots of different intros and outros and, and things like that, and different outcomes. Because I do I, again, this might be a memory of playing tricks, but they did record me winning and losing. Uh, so yeah, I do remember that happening.
0: Ah, that was going to be one of our questions. Was because we've had like a uh, big boy Barry did a, uh, an interview recently with Retro Gamer where he said that he, he when he played Sonic One in Episode Two, he like bombed into a badnik straight away and lost, you know, and died right off the bat. And yeah. they and they let him have a second try. And we've heard like stories of, of multiple takes being done. So, so you did do it twice then?
4: Yeah, well, mm, see, I don't think I did it twice. I think I just I I, 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 might, I might have filmed being oh God it's really funny the way because now that I think about it, it 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 felt very brief it felt like I got in and got out, and then when I watched it back on TV there were bits that didn't happen while I was there do you see what I'm saying yeah, like, yeah. was like there were like bits where um the intro was very different uh that I got on the day and I, yeah I don't know I'm being vague but it's only because now that I'm piecing it together it feels like I do remember seeing the footage of Patrick Moore. But I don't remember how much of it in, like, if they recorded bits afterwards, you know, pick up shots and whatnot. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Which is is likely.
3: Yeah. And also, I guess, because of the way they process the image of him and composite it together with the pre-rendered footage, it would actually probably be fairly easy for them to just chop and change between bits of him and just glitch over it. And it would be barely noticeable on um, broadcast TV at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've noticed while I've been editing the episodes, there are certain sound clips that they've used multiple times. Oh, and Patrick Moore, he has said certain phrases in the same intonation in, in several episodes. So, yeah, so it's quite possible that they've just pieced together various different bits and bobs.
4: Well, I, I will say this on, on a tangent while it's in my head. I do remember not being told what episode I was going to be in. And so I will just watch every episode hoping that I'd, you know, I would say, and every, every now and then I would see myself in the audience, right, with my mom and whatever. And I'd say, oh, I must be in this episode. And then... No, because obviously I sat in the crowd for whatever pregame was in episode two that they put out and whatever. So I, I, you know, I I think I ended up being the first gamer on the very last episode of episode one, I think it turns out to be. So, um, yeah, that's how they got me watching.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but see uh, that you were the first challenger on episode 10. So the last episode of season one. Um, Blimey. Yeah. They saved saved the best till last. Definitely. Definitely
4: they they did let me they did film a rehearsal i know that i know because just to go through it they let me play through the game uh um wouldn't you know it i won on that one uh, <laughs> uh i can't remember ever being in a situation where they film me holding a golden joystick but i do seem to remember them filming me looking you know walking away from the camera and walking to and like can you look like you've just won or can you look like you're defeated you know those kind of mm-hmm. things because maybe when they're shooting it Ad hoc is that the right word? Yeah, 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 yeah. When yeah. they're shooting it, they can't get all the angles because they're doing it live and in the moment. But they have the opportunity to do close up, close ups and takes when I'm walking in and walking out and that kind of stuff.
3: So something that we noticed while we were going over the challenge during the uh, during the episode. You have a watch near your elbow. Yeah. <laughs> it's
4: very stylish. It's very stylish.
3: It's also it's right up by your elbow and I'm really curious as to the logical reasoning.
4: Okay, the logic is again, I was a precocious child and so <laughs> one of the th- one of the things that happened was when because I was going on the telly, uh I think I think a relative an auntie or a nan or whatever got me uh a present, you know, to say well done, and so they got me the Super Mario Three LCD watch. Oh, you know that, you
0: know? those are good.
4: And you know what? It was, I loved that watch, and I was so proud of it that I wanted to make sure that everyone saw that I owned one on the telly. <laughs> so that's why I wore it so far up my arm, <laughs> so so you could see it. It was such a, it was it was such a typically me thing to do to do something odd for the attention and so i just thought oh i'll wear it up my arm but also there was actually a little reason for it in that uh i did have it on my wrist for most of the day i didn't wear it like that my whole life it was just on the tv um it was on my wrist but when i was holding the gun and moving it around it felt funny on my wrist so they either said take it off or what as i did i didn't want to take it off so i think i moved it up my wrist to get the best of both worlds
0: I mean you say that you did it so that people would notice and here we are nearly 30 years later and we noticed yeah you see so it worked I did have this Uh, moment of like I was a child at this time was
3: this a fashion thing was this like the follow-on from backwards baseball caps did we start wearing watches up our arm because I can't remember a lot of that time so crisscross did maybe put my
0: trousers on backwards so yeah
4: yeah I honestly think if you look at what I was actually wearing on the day, you'll see I am no, you know, leader or follower of fashion. <laughs> so, even for 1991. So, uh, <laughs> so get God knows. I just thought it was the, I wanted to show my watch off. I didn't want to take it off and I wanted it up my arm so everyone could see it because I was proud of it. I think that's what it comes down to. I hope I've still got that watch because every time, every now and then, I go on eBay and I go, "Oh, shall I buy it?" and then I see them going for fifty dollars and twenty dollars packaging, and I think, "Ah, I'm not that desperate for it." <laughs> <laughs> but I do have that watch somewhere. I must have. Again, I'm like a hoarder. I've got a collection of cheap, weird novelty watches that I've collected all my life. So I want them back.
0: It's next to your Atari Lynx and the Milky Bar wrappers.
4: <laughs> well, that, that's the that's the funny thing. It's like, I remember thinking about that Lynx. Uh, and my mum has it in the storage. But weird, she's really weird about it. I'll go, oh, mum, you know what? I love that link. She don't play it, obviously. Can I have it? She goes, no. What do you mean, no? It's like, oh, it's mine, that. It'd be worth something. Uh, you know when you just can't go through the, the the process of telling her why it's not worth anything and why she just give it to me and <laughs> stop hoarding stuff. But I just, I just can't face it. So until I can next time sneak into the house and steal it without her knowing, then I'll just have to let it be. Because it was a Model 2 as well. It was a nice one. I like the Model 2. Oh, Wow.
0: I think the battery life's slightly better on the model 2 as well. Yeah. Yeah. Ever so yeah, you get about 6 or 7 more minutes
4: out of it <laughs> yeah. I think. So so yeah, but I do rem- I actually you know what that reminds me? Even though it did power down, I think I had to bring a massive power adapter with me on the journey and try and plug it into the coach. <laughs>
3: So as the first person we've spoken to that's actually been on the show, um, you mentioned that at the audition you met Dominic Diamond um, uh, somewhat briefly or talked to him after you defeated your opponent at Pit Fighter. Uh, How was he on the day? Because by his behaviour on screen, he's a very difficult man to get a read on as Mm. into what he actually thinks of children. Because uh, he's it, either he's either being slightly patronising or just out and out making dick jokes at them, and so I was just curious: was he like that all the time, or when the camera was off, did he kind of slink away to the cloisters?
4: Yeah, you know, here's the thing: I think in in general, he was a positive person. I think in general, he's a. a, a nice guy i don't obviously remember too much about it or too much about him but i don't ever remember walking away thinking what a dickhead <laughs> but i do think he's a product of the 90s and i think that product of the 90s is that kind of self-aware meta tongue-in-cheek pushing the you know the kind of ed, the kind of what we would say is an edge lord now but back in the 90s it was like part of the lad culture part of the birth of fhm i think it he's part of that, so like he he's very much in the line of like a Terry Christian or a Chris Evans of his time, where it's like they're large characters, uh, with with a with a, with an identity which is both kind of intelligent but snarky, and slightly better than what they're doing. You know what I mean? There's always yeah. that sense yeah. of, Oh, I'm doing this job. Cool. Can't believe it. Eh? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's that kind of thing. Um, when I met him at the audition, again, I remember him being reasonably polite, but I also get the impression he knows or knew absolutely nothing about gaming. Nor did I think he particularly cared. I think it quite rightly. It's a job and he's been hired to do that job. And they obviously liked him enough to present it. So he didn't necessarily have to know a lot about gaming because he had to be the ringmaster. Um, and so I think that's part of the reason why the whole... His relationship with the journalists who came in and obviously uh, Dave Dave Perry. Dave, Dave Perry, Dave yeah. Barry, the games animal. I think... Yeah, ex- uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I think all of that just stems from just the culture of the time. I, I think, you know, you've got gaming journalism, which was becoming very, you know rock and roll of its time I think especially in the, like the, the mid 90s when like gaming was a huge big thing Sega versus Nintendo games master games world all these kind of shows there's a little bit of rock and roll to it and I think they all fell foul of that uh, identity and that image and so when you look at it now you it, it's it's very quaint but you do think God it's cringe worthy as well at the same time there's so much attitude and coolness and you know self self-aware there's out even though it's a good show i games master is an interesting show to me where it kind of almost feels like it doesn't like the subject it's talking about
0: and it's doing it almost ironically does that does that seem fair does that to me no i think that's very fair i mean we were talking about this the other week that there's an episode i think it's in episode six it's when they're in heaven where yeah. season six that's sorry well, sorry episode six series six yeah, yeah yeah when they're in there in heaven and um that like one of the segments they do is about uh, games for babies and then the challenge is they have babies play games. And I was like, oh, yeah. this is very 90s. And like, look how cool we are. We're very different from every other show you watch.
4: Yeah, but weirdly it wasn't because it was kind of just like the word. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It kind of had that same feel to it. It, it. it wanted to be counterculture to some extent because even though gaming was becoming very, very mainstream, I mean, even to this day you will ask you know, Steve McNeil how hard it is to get gaming content onto TV despite the fact that gaming makes millions and billions of more revenue than TV does in the Hollywood industry, you know? So it's this weird position where gaming's never found a place truly on you know TV because TV executives don't get it. So when you do get shows like that through the door, Games Master probably was the first of note. It felt like they couldn't wholly give themselves over to it. There had to be a certain amount of if you want to call it intellectual or emotional distance from the subject. So they could so they could basically make the show. I think if they'd been to, hey, ga- isn't gaming fantastic? Isn't it great? Oh, it, everyone's a winner. I think it probably wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. It had to have that slight sneer to it to make it so people could watch it without feeling weird yeah. Or, or, or yeah I'm picking at all kinds of ideas but you know what I mean it's like Gaze Master was a good show but it was a good show despite of itself
3: <laughs> yeah and also by taking that slightly dismissive or snarky tone it appealed to the teenagers who were reaching the stage where due to hormones changes and god knows what else going on rebellion mm. was kind of sewn into the brain of a lot of people, including myself. So yeah. watching this show at 6:30 before the watershed, mm. where there were dick jokes. <laughs> lots of yeah. dick jokes. So yeah. many
0: dick jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean no, the, the episode 10, the episode that you feature on, like their their review section is adult games. They're and they're playing yeah. Leisure Suit Larry and strip poker and geisha, whatever that game was called, where it's like Ooh, this, yeah. is, this isn't 6.30 television.
4: But they could get away with it because, again, it's like the executives who probably commissioned the show probably didn't watch it. They just wanted to, re- to read the ratings. Yeah.
3: So you got through recording the challenge.
4: Um, oh, yeah, I should tell you about that, actually. I haven't got to about <laughs> that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll tell you how that was. So, again, it's hard to – it was it – was, again, people was – memories will be different of it. And mine probably won't match up with a lot of people's, but I, I seem to think that it was hard for me to get truly nervous, mainly because the first chunk of my time was spent walking up the aisle seven or eight times before I spoke to Dominic Diamond. And so... i was i was very very nervous but i remember kind of uh, feeling frustrated about by all that can you walk up there and walk back and do it from this angle and everyone needs to cheer and round of applause and blah blah blah. no louder and then we need to have you walk on from the side and meet dominic can we do it again so there was lots of that so i think it made the the experience a little bit more nerve-wracking but it wasn't like i was nervous in the first place it was just more frustration um Dominic was very nice, but again, I used to make a joke of this in a solo show, I did, but um, he I don't think he gets my name once right during the whole episode. I'm pretty sure he calls me Paul Ga- Cannon Gallon, and then Gamnon, I think. It's, <laughs> something, it's something like that. I just seem to remember that when I watch that back, I don't think he gets my name right. And I don't think it was like a vindictive thing, I just think for whatever reason, it didn't compute. And so, I remember uh him, him again when he's recording he you know he says best of luck and you know i'm however old i am 12 13 14 but i look a lot younger and so i think that innocence I, he didn't want to quite crush it yet he wanted the game to play out first before he could step in <laughs>
3: i'm not gonna lie is that when i did i did said I, I did my catfishing and i worked out how old you were i did go back and look at the footage and go. Really? Because, yeah, Yeah. you look young for your age. And I suspect that's why um, Jazz Rignall made the comment of the game being older than you, because he may have looked at you and gone, oh,
4: yeah. Yeah, very, very, very likely. Um, And again, it's weird because I I think literally the first time I got to play Duck Hunt was in the uh, kind of a technical shoot or whatever it was, the quick run through they gave me. So I wasn't allowed to play the whole game. I think they just let me play the first two duck hunt sections so I didn't even get to do the frisbee bit Mm. until I actually ended up playing it on the show Uh, so once I did that and again they said hooray you won let's do your walking thing and then they went to film it and all I remember thinking was that uh, this is easy (laughs) (laughs) I remember finding it very very easy and not stressing too much I, I do know I kind of, I, I, in the back of my head, I wanted to make it look like I was an action hero. So I think my pose was unnecessarily like Stallone in Cobra or something, daft, <laughs> you know, where I've got my arms locked and my hand, you know, wrapped around the trigger. And uh yeah, but then when I got to the Frisbee bit, I didn't know what to expect because all of a sudden it was a completely different game type. Um And... Uh, as it's, as you see in the episode it, it, I lose but it's frustrating because it's always the way with me I can't just lose properly I can't lose from the beginning and get worse I have to have the hope the hope <laughs> and the, the joy just there just out of reach so when I go for it that's when it goes and so I'm actually I actually really like the way it plays out because yeah it's sad that I lose but the fact that it I lose just at an inch at the end just just, that one last shot kind of makes it a bit more satisfying to watch drama wise Um,
0: it's heartbreaking it's the Rocky story it is
4: it is it's yeah it's like it's basically Duck Hunt is my Apollo Creed
0: (laughs) oh so duck Hunt's gonna train you one day
4: (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny because again it's like jumping ahead a bit in time that's the reason why we did it for digitizer in that we tried to revisit it in that way uh more like penance than retribution (laughs) uh, so yeah i remember being distraught and and then obviously dominic diamond comes straight in they keep rolling at that point and he comes in and i i don't remember what i said but i I, in my head, I remember saying the words trigger-happy a lot more than I do in the final edit. Oh,
1: Paul, you were so
0: close. Jazz Rignall is in tears in the commentary box. That's how close you were. Talk me through what happened in the end. Just got trigger-happy. Yeah, you did a bit. But have you enjoyed yourself anyway? Yeah. Well, we really have all certainly enjoyed it here. So that's something you're too bad to the world. Thank you very much,
4: Paul. But that seems to be the overriding memory. Is me saying I think he says you just got trigger happy. And then I say yeah, I just got here, but trigger happy. Oh, I just got trigger happy. I think I just get locked into saying trigger happy. Excuse but me. I do know there's a you know like there's a scene in Simpsons where um uh, 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 oh who is it Chief Wiggin's son uh, Ralph wants to uh, yeah Ralph wants to ask out lisa and she says no live on tv and then bart steps in and goes this is the exact moment when his heart breaks i genuinely think i've got the exact same moment on her on, on games master i think if you pause it in the right moment you can just see in my eyes the moment where my everything my heart breaks i think i'm just inches away from not crying actually at that point but i did keep it together
0: i was going back through my notes i've got written down for episode 10 and the words trigger happy comes up a lot because jazz jazz rignall says it about your playing like he says like oh i think he's a bit trigger happy this kid he likes to shoot a lot and then dominic diamond says it to you and then you just go yeah i was a bit trigger happy actually
4: yeah and it's worse because it's like i just got a bit trigger happy in that really high voice (laughs) Which, you know, again, to this day, people, we, weird how, it's mostly school friends, but yeah, it comes up, and unfortunately it comes up a lot more now, simply because of digitizer and such, so, yeah, if, if I have a tombstone, I do want, <laughs> I've just got a bit trigger happy, written on it, and then that picture of my face with the teary eyes from the age of 12, that's, that's my legacy, I think I want it to be.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say that I don't do an impression of it on the podcast uh, the episode.
4: The horrible thing is, my girlfriend plays along now. It's like she'll go, "Oh, what's that up over there?" And I'll look, thinking it's a light bulb or a spider. I need to fetch. The minute I raise my eyes and look up, she goes, "Just got to be trigger happy." And I was like, "Oh, how, how dare you!" <laughs> oh. So I lose the game. Blah 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 blah. Everyone who's been in the show is sitting around and been in the audience. We've been moved around. So no one's really left and left. They simply had to. Once everything's finished filming, that's when they give out or they gave out. Well, actually here's the thing. I might be wrong, but I don't think they had game match, the golden joysticks to give out. I think they had one for show and then they, you'd get it later in the post. Right. Mm -hmm. So I my brain. It might have warped reality, but I seem to remember being told that if you won the golden joystick all you got was the golden joystick, right? Whereas me, they said, come backstage. We've got a goodie bag. You can take what you want as a consolation prize. So I remember going back and there were like bin bags or certainly sacks of skeins and stuff. So I remember going in and pulling out a, uh, Bonanza Brothers t-shirt, uh, that I took, you know, that I could wear. I think there was an Atari Lynx game in there that was just lying. I think I grabbed that. I think I must have made off like a bandit because I remember coming away with games and t-shirts and magazines and things like that. Whereas, The kids who won the golden joysticks just had to go home and wait. I seem to remember that that was how it played out. So I always meant to think, oh, if if that's what it meant to lose, I got all this swag. Then, yeah, great. So, yeah, and then that was it. A long journey back home. Mum was quite sad for me. I don't know. I was happy. I was playing me stuff and me T-shirt on. It was great. (laughs) But when it came to it being on TV, that's the bit that I don't remember the most, so to speak. It's like, I remember it going out. I remember when this TV series come, uh, came out again. I watched every episode thinking I was going to be in that episode. And then it was episode 10. And I remember thinking, oh, this is a very Scouse episode. They've got <laughs> Emlyn Hughes and me. A bunch of very whiny voice Scouses uh, on the show.
0: It did make me feel uh, like I was back at home. It was quite lovely, really.
4: The episode goes out and I seem to remember not a lot of fuss being made about it. I think one or two of my closest friends... You know, because uh, they 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 at that point, I think everyone knew I hadn't won the golden joystick before the episode went out. Because I think I might have just told them, so there's no ha ha ha, you lost on telly, you Muppet kind of thing. But I do remember like they're not being too much of a fuss. In fact, I'm probably a bit upset that there wasn't more of a fuss, and I couldn't have a you know a larger imprint at my school. But maybe not a lot of kids watch Games Master in my school. Maybe I don't know. Or maybe all I got was abuse, and I've mentally blocked it out. <laughs> There'll be a trigger word that will happen. and <laughs> It will bring it all flooding back. But no, weirdly, I don't remember too much in terms of the aftermath.
0: Uh, you're watching of the show because you said like you watched the first series because you were on it. So you you know you wanted to check out the episode you were on. But did you continue watching the show when it came back for series two, three, four, etc.? Did you like when was what was your cut off point for for watching Games Master?
4: You know what? I do remember watching the following seasons. Uh, I, I do. I mean, the thing is, I liked the show and I, I did like gaming. It was I just couldn't afford all of it. It's like we didn't get a Mega Drive until I think nearly the Mega Drive's life was over. Same for the Super Nintendo, you know? So I wasn't really into gaming, but I do remember enjoying the show because there wasn't anything else like it, you know? And I was at that age where I was moving away from CITV type stuff and looking for slightly more mature content. I think Games Master was a nice little bridge between, you know... Blue Peter, and whatever else. Top Gear, let's just say, Mm. if you're that way inclined. It's kind of one of those shows. It's a gateway drug show to more adult content. And again, it's like there's not a lot of... I think other gaming shows were a little bit dry. I mean, um, Bad Influence, I never remember watching too much of that, but I'd watch it every now and then because, you know... Andy Crane's on it, someone I recognise. Yeah, but I don't yeah. remember watching too much of that. And then there's We had Sky for a limited time, so I do remember watching that. But I remember thinking that was a bit... Uh, considering who I know, I'll, I'll say it with all the best intentions. <laughs> but I remember thinking that was dumb, that yeah. show, because it felt like it was Games Master, but filtered through, you know, the whole wrestling American Gladiators thing. And it was kind of like, oh, it's really cheesy. And again... I'm to, this is going to be the motif of this conversation, by the way. My memory lying to me or inventing stuff. But I worked with a guy at Paragon Publishing when I weirdly moved out of uh, out of university and got into writing for game mags again, considering <laughs> I know very little about. It I got a job, but I was working with a guy called Martin Mathers, and it turns out that he was a Games World uh, or uh, you know character. Right, you know, he was one of the the video yeah, he's one of those videators, and so I remember me telling him about the Games Master connection and blah 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 blah. So it all, you know, it all kind of folds in on itself. But anyway, I remember I do I don't remember telling him that I thought his show he was on was dumb, <laughs> but but I do seemingly have remember someone telling me, oh yeah, he used to be one of those people on Games World, and uh, yeah, so uh, Games Master I think was the happy medium for all of its flaws. I do think it was, you know, it. it was the best representation of gaming on TV at that time. It maybe maybe became a bit self-obsessed or certainly very proud of itself, and it, it didn't mature or it didn't develop well, and it kind of became a, a bigger and kind of more vulgar cartoon, especially when, you know, Dominic Diamond came back after uh, he left for a season or two. Yeah, yeah. It's confusing because I sometimes get Games Master confused with uh, the Crystal Maze. So, a part <laughs> of me thinks, When was it that Ed Tudor Pole uh, took over <laughs> yeah. from Games Master? You know, yeah. but uh, you're, not too, far, was a you're send- not
0: too far off. It was Dexter Fletcher, yeah. <laughs> it may <laughs> as well have been. <laughs> had a
3: similar sort of reaction to Ed Tudor Pole, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I do think, you know, for all of its flaws, I do think Games Master was a, a reasonably good representation. Of gaming. And also, it kind of had the same turn of a lot of what the magazines are about and the popularity of those, the tone of those magazines at the time. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I did watch it, but I don't remember watching it for long. I think when Dexter Fletcher took over, I think I might have at that point tuned out.
3: You and quite a number of people.
0: Yeah, we've been joking about like the when we eventually get to series three. Like we you know we've just finished series one, we're about to jump into series two, which is the one that everyone remembers because it's the big games rig. But in the back yeah. of our minds, we are like, yeah, but series three is it's only 20 episodes away. <laughs> get-
3: we've got like 23, 24 episodes of Dexter Fletcher shouting in a cockney accent at Patrick Moore. And yeah. I mean, I figure That's if fun. we survive that season, then our friendship is probably set for life because <laughs>
4: It's like- all all you got to do is do the old community standard and just say, that's the gas leak here. <laughs> <where> <laughs> nothing was quite right and we don't quite remember what happened. <laughs> but I do remember watching the second series mainly because I was very excited to point out the fact that it was oh that's the place they used in Justice in Red Dwarf 4 yes
3: it yeah. is Yeah, which explains why it looks so good but uh, <laughs> yeah.
4: I think they just they just kept the lighting <laughs> that's exactly what I was about to say I think they just kept the same lighting
0: rig from that shoot I and mean, that'll, that'll do yeah. I suppose you won't remember this like I'm, I'm just sort of jumping back a little bit to the, the day and you watching other people but we found out recently because someone tweeted us about it we theorized that one of the contestants like he Dominic Diamond picks three people out from the the audience to play the game, and we were like trying to work out if they were plants or if they were like family members and stuff. And someone tweeted us and worked out that one of the girls that was on there was the production assistant on the show. I think it was that was, that she, yeah. Yeah, she yeah, was the pro-
3: Dolat. Yeah, yeah, Dolat. Yeah. Basically, there was three people from the audience: two guys and a girl. And the two boys came up and they were wearing track suits, trainers, t shirt jumpers 90 whatever standard. Yeah. Ninety standard Dolak comes up and she's got earrings she's got perfect makeup her hair's done <laughs> and i'm just <laughs> like 20 years old yeah, she, yeah, <laughs> yeah she's probably in her late 20s early 30s but it's just also like yeah you knew you were going to be here and you're here to work so <laughs> yeah. the fact finding out that she was a production assistant it was um I mean, to be honest, it's probably something we should have spotted actually watching the episode, but...
4: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I do get the impression that they literally scra- uh, scratched their way through the production of that. I think, you know, they, they squeezed every inch every penny they could to to make that show happen. So, yeah, I think I even remember... I don't want to say I was there for that, but I seem to remember something very similar where, like, someone on production had to step in and be a, a contestant on a kind of challenge. And I do think that like, they didn't just randomly pull out people from the audience. Everyone who was in that audience was invited to be there to play a game or a family member or whatever. There was no... It wasn't like they'd gone to Weatherspoons and picked out three people from random. You know, it wasn't like the price is right. It wasn't like that kind of thing. I it, I just feel like they they were making that show on a wing and a prayer, and I can't imagine the budget was very big. And I can only imagine that if they could cut corners, not in a negative way, but just in a kind of, can we get Barbara from accounts to sit in and look like she's doing this for or play that game? They probably did it
3: yeah they were also struggling to get an audience because if i remember correctly they were filming during term time which yeah. makes it you know essentially you are either getting challenges that have been given the day off school or for audience members skyvers yeah who are probably <laughs> yeah. quite difficult to actually keep sat down anyway because they're always worried they're going to get caught especially when it goes out at six thirty p.m <laughs> on channel four
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I, I do i mean i can't remember my Looking back, uh, but if you watch the footage back, I don't think like the church is packed with people. I think it's like scattered human beings that they moved around. So yeah, they probably again they just did the best of what they had. I think you know like creative shooting and yeah, angles and all this it kind very of, well. and lots of fog. <laughs> I do remember lots of fog. I honestly think, actually, on reflection, it was Games
0: Matter that gave me asthma, so I might have to put a lawsuit in. It's actually, Emlyn Hughes says that in episode 10, where it's like, there's so much smoke around here, I think the game's going to get called off.
4: <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, but God, yeah, no, I, I don't remember it being packed. So yeah, I think, honestly, if people were holding a camera or manning the, the, the tea table or whatever, they were probably sitting down in the audience.
0: Did you um? Did you see any of the celebrities that they filmed stuff with, or did you? Or was no. it, it was that all done on a yeah, it must have been done on a separate day, like just one big, could, one day just for the celebrity challenges.
4: I reckon that must have done because I don't I don't remember seeing any of that. In fact, I don't remember the until seeing the episode knowing that they had celebrities on the show. So hmm. yeah, I was very lucky to have Emlyn <laughs> You know, it's like hey. <laughs> Grandstand. I
0: don't know. (laughs) Question of sport. It
3: was interesting because some of the celebrity challenges really showed where Dominic's actual interests lay. Because whenever there was a football guest on there, he perked right up and knew what he was talking. When Eric Bristow was on, (laughs) Dominic was like auditioning for Bullseye at that point. He wanted to be Jim Bowen so badly. And he really just, he lent into it. It was a beautiful thing. (laughs)
4: That's why I think it was like it, you know it was good to have someone like him do the show because at some point, cynicism aside, I think there were lots of lots of things he did on that show he enjoyed. I I also think it just maybe ultimately wasn't his bag. It was just a good job for him. Well, at the, we
3: covered I think right at the beginning of the series when we were talking about the um, the origins of Games Master, and you've already mentioned it. He was up for the work, like he was one of the people auditioning yeah. for the job that went to Terry Christian. Mm. so yeah he he went there was a path he went one way terry went the other i'm not sure games master with terry christian would have worked
4: (laughs) no probably for the best to be fair but (laughs) but you know what further on down the line if if games master had spun off maybe he could have got a games master late night version i'd that was something they should have done. Late Night After Dark Games Master, where they can play all blue games or something like that. And Linda Lusardi plays. You know what? Stop asking me questions. It's not great. No,
3: dude, these are good ideas. This is Patreon
4: content we're talking about. <laughs> oh, dear.
3: So you said, well, after it was broadcast, there wasn't an initial kind of like big fuss or ha-ha, you lost. But part of that was because you'd already kind of given away the ending. Um after the initial broadcast, was there a point where people started to recognize or twig that you had this history with the show, or did it kind of go away unless you brought it
4: up? It went away unless I brought it up, and I didn't tend to bring it up, to be fair. <laughs> I just, it was just the only thing I had was that obviously when it was on, we taped it off the telly so i had a vhs so for 10 years i had this vhs until my brother decided he'd rather tape the uh, football match off the telly and I <laughs> couldn't find a tape and he just stuck that in and recorded over it and so in anger i smashed the tape <laughs> i felt i felt betrayed but i think you were right yeah yeah that's a justifiable response Yeah, it wasn't even like a cup match, as far as I remember. You know, it's just like I just felt like utterly betrayed by my family, or certainly my brother. But uh, for that meant for the longest time, it just disappeared. Way before you know the birth of YouTube, it that just disappeared into the ether. So, in many respects, the only time it got mentioned was when I got the job writing for a sixty-four magazine, Paragon Publishing, in two thousand and no two thousand. So, because obviously at some point the topic comes up, and then it would come up. And obviously having the name Ganon made things amusing because, oh, Zelda, Ganon. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So those kind of stories did come up when I was working at Paragon. But then, again, that was it. In fact, to be fair, the, the last time it it started only coming up again when, like, Barshans or, again, obviously Digitizer picked it it and we could have a bit of fun with it.
0: Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the Digitizer recreation. Could, could you say a bit of fun? Um, <laughs> First
3: time I watched that, I was actually going on holiday with my partner and we just decided to put offline a couple of the episodes of Digitizer to watch on the train. (laughs) Uh, People behind us got an eyeful because uh, that's a harrowing end sequence to the episode. Uh, How was it pitched to you or was it your idea or was it brainstormed? Uh, What was
4: the genesis of it? So, uh, (laughs) so I think, I think the idea was, again, because me working with Biffo was weird, right? Because, um, the only reason we got working together was because again in life everything kind of folds back on itself with me so I was doing a show called Geek Night Out, a comedy geek show where comedians talked about their favourite geeky passions and it was a stand-up night and I knew a mate there called Richard Sandling who's an amazing stand-up comedian and actor and uh, he w- he was doing his own stand-up comedy nights and I hung out there and then I met Stuart Ashen at one of uh, Richard Sandling's nights because Richard Sandling was in the Game Child movie and then through meeting Ashen I am a uh Barry, and then I, he asked me to produce portions because that time I just started doing Cheap Show and also started doing uh, local radio, and I was doing uh, producing things with Pat Sharp and stuff like that. And then, again, I only got to meet Biffo through Stuart when he had a charity event at Cambridge Computer Museum, and Biffo was hosting it. And he showed found footage to an audience that was 70% belligerent to the material and then there were people and then there was people like me going oh i love this because i like tim and eric i like adult swim that's kind of my favorite kind of comedy i err between like bottom Derek and clive and then like surreal like you know aqua teen hunger force or uh tim and eric or on cinema things like that mm-hmm. I, I hate using the word anti-comedy because i don't think that's apt but like just that weird weird twisted realities that exist and have their own rules and logic um, so, I, so found footage to me was like oh I love this so I went over and spoke to him he said oh do you want to do found footage because we're short on actors so because he, he was crowdfunding that um, I got to be in that I got to be in a few sketches and, and found footage anyway at that point the digitizer resurgence had happened i think he'd had the digi 20 i can't remember all the details because i wasn't part of it but you know there was a resurgence and a digi fest and things like that yeah
3: and he did and the think, quiz show quiz me do and stuff like that originally yeah, yeah. and
4: so f- from that it was his genesis obviously his idea to raise the money for digi the show and i oh I, to be honest i think the only reason he asked me to be on it was because i'd had performance experience i was good at Doing radio and doing stand up and improv, and I, I you know, I, I, I know I talk a lot as this interview is blatantly proving, <laughs> but it just means that he felt like there was someone he could work with, who could be, I don't know, could hold things together a little bit because obviously he wasn't comfortable fronting a show, and when you watch those episodes at the, because it's all filmed out of order the intro is always the most awkward part of the show. Cause I don't think he's quite got the father figure needed. He wants to be a bit all over the place, but he also uh, knows he has to crack the whip. So it's like, you know, it's like the Michael uh, character from the office, you know, he has to be the boss, but also he wants to be everyone's friend. Yeah. So I was kind of there just to kind of keep things in order, but through the process of being invited onto it, there were things I wanted to do and I know we talked about doing video games for real so things like Rampage for real where we can all dress up in uniforms and smash buildings I thought that kind of thing hadn't been really done properly or certainly we could do it in our own DIY way And I went, please, can we do Duck Hunt? And initially, it was going to be I would play Duck Hunt again. We were going to have it on a Wii or something and get it running on emulation. And I'd lose again. And then we'd come up with an ending. But Biffo had a very different idea of what he wanted to do. (laughs) And he didn't tell me until quite late in the day. Because there's a lot of moments in Digitizer, the show, where I am dressed in a ridiculous outfit. And I go along with everything. Because I kind of like being the put-upon straight man sometimes but also when you're filming something and he shows you last minute and the camera's about to roll you can't really say no sometimes (laughs) so he did have me over a barrel so he goes well how about this instead of we'll do duck hunt how about you're the duck and we'll have the guests hunt you and I was like "All right." mentally speaking it didn't work for me but I I see where it was going but I said if we're going to do that then I don't just want to be shot at for ages and then that's the joke I want to snap I want it to be like this failure on Games Master has been like burning at me for years and Humiliation is what pushes me over the top, you know. So the idea of being trigger happy and stuff like that. So I said, I, I've got to go mad and I've got to end this violently because again, I have two t- comedy types. I'm rude or I'm very angry. They're my two comedies. That's my swinging points. That's where I swing from, and so I can do angry very well. Again, I've got a lot of issues. So, <laughs> so I I just said, all right, I didn't. We didn't tell Stuart and. Steve and all this of what was going to happen. Uh, Mr. Hayes, they just knew that I was going to be angry with them at the end. And so everyone was very shocked. But when we did that final take of me coming out with a shotgun, Biffo obviously knew. So I said, you have to go down first. Cause that, if you go down first and everyone understands suddenly what's going on. So me coming out and shooting him dead was part of the, ah, Paul's gone m- mad. So they were, they were shocked and a lot of people ran out the way and I just got the chance to kind of scream at the camera and then once you know, had sh- stop, everyone just was like silent for a minute. And then everyone started nervously laughing. And I was like, just acting. I'm not really angry about all of this, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun to do. And it was, a re- it was a proper laugh because obviously there's the joy there of uh, seeing the footage of me as a kid and then me grown up and the whole... It was a nice little narrative to have of me having this beef with the show and wanting to put it to rest and prove I'm a... Really good at duck guns, and then having a massive meltdown and killing everyone. I thought that was amusing,
3: especially as a way to end episode one
4: <laughs> of the show. I was I was surprised. I thought that might have been a series at six ender. To be fair, you know, not series six, you know, episode six. Yeah, I thought that would have made more sense. But again, I think with digitize it. Weirdly enough, it had that kind of games master feel, like we're squeezing every penny we can out of making the best looking show we can on the budget we have. And so, a lot of the show, I think, was built in. Biffo's head along the way, and so you know, if I had had editorial control, I would definitely have put that at the end of the series, but I could see why he didn't, because it was one of the earliest things we shot and I think as we went along the week, filming bits, everyone relaxed more and everyone knew knew each other's boundaries or certainly their shtick and so, yeah, it kind of makes sense that by the time we get to the end of the series the the show feels more kind of naturally random as opposed to forced random. So, I imagine
3: a lot of people listening to this will be already familiar with variety of your output. We've talked about Digitizer and your work with Paul Rose. What about your own projects? Because I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to plug Cheap Show, which is is just... I've seen it described as Vic and Bob or Derek and Clive, um, Bottom.
4: You know what it is? It's just... It's two failed stand-up comedians who hate doing stand-up who decided that podcasting was a much better way of expressing themselves, and then discovered they were wrong. So <laughs> it's 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 a weird show. It, it is. It's 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 a combination of. We started out wanting to do a podcast about the things we like. And me and Eli, my co-host, love charity shops and looking for random weird bits and bobs. And so when we started out doing Cheap Show, it was like, "Uh, we haven't got a format. All right, well, let's buy that from a charity shop and you have to guess the price. Oh, that's all right. And it kind of developed over the first 10 episodes. But effectively, yeah, it's a it's a comedy magazine format show where me and my co-host Eli Silverman go through charity shops, pound Poundlands, all that stuff, and we look for interesting things that we find in there that we can talk about. And sometimes it's random, and sometimes it's food, and sometimes we go down rabbit holes of albums and nostalgia. So I like it, but I also appreciate it's a hard sell because it's quite vulgar. It has lots of strong language, language, and at times it can be aggressively surreal for no real reason. So when people say, "Yeah, it's like Bottom and Derek and Clive and Vic and Bob," it's like, "Yeah, because that's all of my influences, and I I I steal from the best." And so. <laughs> So when we do episodes like the narrative ones or we do the TV show special or we do uh, like the awards ceremony episode and things like that, it's because we're lucky that our format allows us to mess about. So if we want to do an episode like that, we kind of can as opposed to podcasts where it's like, hi, we're going to talk about uh, the son of Sam for four episodes this week because everyone likes true crime. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you're locked into that. But you, next week you can co- but next week you can't do a son of Sam Panto, but we can. So, <laughs> so we're better. So, so that, that's it. It's, it's cheap show. It's been going for like five years as a, apparently now we're five years old. We're going to have 200 episodes in October. There'll be another big live show. But if anyone's interesting in hearing two 40 year old men, rummaging about in bins playing with <laughs> retro toys finding weird music going on and on about winky and uh don't mind bad language then yeah cheapshow.co.uk or at the Pod.
3: You say about people locking themselves into a format and I'm just sat here looking at Luke going, 115 episodes to go.
4: (laughs) You just need to have an episode where you go on a train trip one day. That's all. We just do it to break up the format and keep it interesting for us. That's literally (laughs) why we do it.
3: I'll be honest, it's the fact that you leap around in format structure. That was what actually got me to stick with it and listen to it so much. Mm. I mean, we are producing a retrospective podcast. I've done horror podcasts, I've done topical news podcasts, I've done all this stuff, which has a very strict format, which is good when you're planning. But then I listen to podcasts Mm. like yours. And I'm like, Oh, wow, this is refreshing. (laughs) This is this is this is nice to listen to. Because also, I can listen to your podcast and not worry that I'm going to try and steal from it. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you listen to retrospective or formula or Podcasts that follow a formula, even not consciously, you might hear something mm, and go, oh, yeah. that's a good bit. Whereas your yeah. podcast is so out there that it's just, yeah, it, it's wonderfully fresh. And I very much appreciate that you're doing it.
4: Oh, thank you. Because it's a hard sell. It really is. Like, there are a few Oh, I'm not going to get bitter, but there's, it's, it's a hard sell because we're not well known particularly. We're not off the telly and it's quite a weird show. So it's not going to appeal to like people who like no such thing as fish or Richard Herring's podcast. So we just have to make our own little world and hopefully people know that. Even though it's vulgar and mucky, it's also not like, a negative show, necessarily. You know, it's not like a, it's. It's like a lot of shows, certainly on YouTube, are all like the angry nostalgia. This yeah. or the I hate everything. And it's like we can't do that. Yeah, me and Eli like arguing amongst ourselves, and we use a lot of bad language, but we never sh*t on people. You know what I mean? We we kind of know that we're the punchline all the time, and we live in a very strange world. So yeah, it, we, we yeah, I enjoy doing YouTube, and I'm very fond of it, but it's a hard sell,
3: <laughs> Paul. Thank you ever so much for your time. Um, Thank you. And yeah, for giving us a real eye-opening insight into Gamesmaster at that early point mm, in yeah, its yeah. history. So that was the end of our first bonus episode. That was a lot of fun. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Listening back to that interview. I can tell at the beginning I was a bit nervous because yeah the first interview you do for something kind of sets the tone for how other interviews might go particularly when you're talking about something that's 30 years old or almost 30 years old but that was smooth and that was easy and a lot of that is on Paul because he's just a naturally engaging person to talk to.
0: Yeah, I think the pair of us were very nervous at the start. Because, like, as you say, like it's our first interview that we've ever done for this show. And we're hoping it's going to be the first of many. Like, we have sort of, like, had some feelers out there too. We, we've made some contacts. Yeah, yeah to, we've made some contacts. And that's the thing I was really hoping for for this show. But I didn't expect that to happen until way down the line. So when it came up that we could interview one of the challengers from series one. And there was that part of me I was like, oh my God, it's it's almost too soon. It's all, we better not F this up. And it's hilarious because you've
3: interviewed loads of people. I've interviewed a fair share of people in a variety of different settings. And yet here we were, both (laughs) sat there kind of like (laughs) naughty school children in the headmaster's office. But Paul made it easy and it was a lot of fun. So that wraps up our first bonus episode. But before we get into season two, next week we have our Season 1 wrap-up episode.
0: Indeed we do, yeah. Um, So we're going to be going through all of our favourite moments from Series 1, including all the feedback that you've sent across to us, which we're really looking forward to diving into. We're going to talk about our favourite challenges, favourite celebrities, uh, least favourite challenges, all that good stuff. Maybe Favourite feature, we can get Naked and Begging back in again. Um, (laughs) What do you think I'm doing now? (laughs) So yeah, so we're going to have that, and then, and then... We'll start into series two of Games Master. We'll get on aboard the game rig. I'd say I'm looking forward to
3: that, but we've already kind of done it. (laughs) Podcast (laughs) recording and time travel is a tricky business. But no, I'm excited for next week's retrospective. If you hadn't got your feedback to us yet, don't worry, it's too late. Yeah. We will literally be recording next week's episode (laughs) while you're listening to this interview now.
0: Yeah. And to mess with your mind even further, we've recorded like the first six episodes of Series 2. We're way ahead.
3: We're laughing. <laughs> By the time you finish listening to next week's episode, we may even be on a beach somewhere.
0: We may have even just like, oh, taken we're not, off. We're not getting to Series 7. We're not getting that far ahead oh, would yeah, yeah.
3: That'd be That'd be too much too soon. But anyway, we'll see you next week for the Series 1 retrospective. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now, for that information about the Under Consultation Club. You can follow us on Twitter at Under Console Pod, and you can send your thoughts on each episode to feedback at underconsultation.com. You can also follow your hosts on Twitter at This is Luke Owen and at Ash Versus. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a subscribe and a five star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from.